Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Craig Wilburn with Keller Williams in Gainesville, Florida. Last year, he closed 185 transactions with a total sales volume of $49 million and a GCI of $1.3 million. His average sales price was $264,000, of which 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. In his best year, 2016, Craig sold 255 homes worth $55 million. Craig has a 14-member team, two buyer agents, three listing agents, two inside sales agents, one listing coordinator, one transaction coordinator, one field manager, two executive assistants, one director of operations, and one team leader. Craig is the team leader of Team Dynamo. He's been an agent for 15 years and works the Metro Gainesville market. In this call, Craig talks about only selling one house during his first five months while he educated himself on the market and built relationships. Then the floodgates opened and he sold 55 homes in his first full year without any assistance or team members. His formula was simple. Talk to 17 people per day. Why he likes prospecting in shopping malls and office parks. How to build rapport quickly with anyone. Here are the script he uses to set appointments with people he just met who showed interest in real estate. Why he developed a laid-back, friendly approach to for sale by owners. His annual client party and how he zero-based the cost. Why he's still personally in production and sold 70 homes himself last year. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Craig. Hello, hello. How are you? Hey, Craig. I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Craig, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Oh, boy. So let's see. Prior to real estate, my my most recent thing that I did was I worked with a company that was in uh, outside sales for a company called Altel. That's before big old giant Verizon took them over and gobbled them up. But I was a corporate salesperson working with businesses in my city in Gainesville, Florida, selling phones and remember pagers. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and also we, we used to sell uh, long distance services and all those kind of good things too. So it was fun back in the days. How long did you do that before you got into real estate? I was in that service for approximately three years. And then prior to that, I was in the fitness industry. I did everything in fitness world, managed the gym and personal training, was a massage therapist, did, you know, membership sales, everything there. So yeah, I was, that was my world for a while prior to the uh, sales business with the phones. And what made you decide to get into real estate? Well, the biggest driving factor, I was, I was at the Altel and I was doing very well there and just kind of had a shifting internally. And I knew that it was time for me to start looking at some other options. And so it's funny enough, my wife, I was thinking at the time, she was actually an engineer and she wasn't really excited about what she was doing and she was considering making a career change. And so I said, you know, I got a good idea. I think you would be phenomenal for real estate. And so I had one of my very good friends who um, was a broker of a local company here and I got together with her and my wife for lunch and I said, hey, Deborah, tell Rhoda about this uh, real estate thing. I think she'd be great at it. And so Deborah goes into this whole dissertation about how wonderful she would be in real estate. And I just sat there kind of minding my business. And then after we left that day for lunch, I got on the phone. I called her. I said, so baby, what do you think about you doing real estate? She says, you know, I don't think it's for me, but I kind of think it's for you. I said, man, I was thinking the same exact thing. (laughs) And so so from there, we just did some research to figure out what had to take place for us to, you know, make that shift. 
And so we knew that after asking a lot of questions to a lot of different people, that it would be wise for us to build up a reserve in our, in our savings accounts because we had heard from so many people that when you get into real estate, you might not make any money for a little while. So our counsel that we received from several people was try to put aside about six months to a year's worth of income. So that way, when you got into real estate, you're not feeling the pressure of having to make a paycheck because, you know, for, for people buying and selling homes, you know, for most of us, it's the largest decision financially they're going to make. And you don't want to be in a place where you're needing a paycheck. You're needing them to make a decision so that you can get a paycheck. So we figured we went back and estimated how much money we need to put aside. So I figured it'd take me about a year and a half to two years to save that much money up so that I can go ahead and, and make a switch into real estate. And about two months later, through a series of events, the money that we needed was literally handed to us without uh, any prior knowledge of the person knowing that we were thinking about making a transition or even trying to save money. And um, so what that turned into was, I guess I need to go ahead and do this real estate thing now. So two months later, I went and got my license. And two months after that, I was sitting at my first company like, okay, now what am I going to do? <laughs> it's here. <laughs> I'm going to go do real estate now. <laughs> so, so it happened very, very quickly. And then we just went to work. Wow. Well, I, I got a, a quick question there. So you had this reserve money. Did it take you six months before you saw your first commission check? That's a great question. So now the model that I followed in the beginning, because the background that I came out of in sales, I was one of the top people in the country for what I was selling at that time. And so, you know, the one thing that I knew was that I had to meet a lot of people and I had to have a lot of product knowledge. That's just kind of how I, I thought back then. So I was not trying to sell a lot of real estate when I got in because I had the cushion. I spent most of my time educating myself, going to classes, learning, you know, the MLS, studying the real estate market, reading articles, talking to people, getting my GRI. I was with a company that didn't have a lot of sales training per se, as far as, you know, what to do. We had a lot of office training and how to write contracts and things of that nature. But as far as how to go out there and make money, um, and so I would, I would use the NAR stuff and I would go to get my GRI and try to work on my CRS. And so anytime there was a class or offering for anything sales related, I was always there. So my first five months that I was in the business, I actually only sold one house. Wow. For the first five calendar months that I was in, I sold one house, but that was by design. I wasn't trying to, so I was just trying to get my, my business acumen up. I did that pretty quickly. And then the second part of that, of that year, it was a partial year that I started, but the last part of the year, sold about 20 something, 30 houses in like the last four months of the year. And then my first full calendar year, which was 2003, I sold 55 houses that year by myself. Wow. I was going to ask you if it made sense, if it played out this idea of ramping up your knowledge before you dove into the pool, and it sounds like it did work out. Yeah, it worked out for me a lot because I didn't have the pressure. So I was able to really focus on trying to build relationships with people without there being any pressure on them to make a buying or selling decision. What I learned very early on was that if I took the time to really understand what people's needs were, and then if I can properly educate them on what they were needing to know, then the business just very naturally followed. And then they told everybody that they knew about me also. Aha. So my referral business began to grow quickly. Uh, the word of mouth began to happen very fast. And, um, you know, what I realized was that now I, I was working a lot. What I didn't say earlier was that prior to getting into real estate, I, I sat down with my wife and I said, you know, I, based on what I'm hearing from people, this is not like a nine to five job. <laughs> it's going to require a lot of hours for me to be able to produce the kind of income that I need to produce. Cause my goal was to replace my income and my wife's income because, oh, I didn't mention this either, but when I made the decision to go into real estate and it happened really quickly, well, after I gave my Alltel company six weeks notice, two weeks into it, I came home from work and my wife told me she was pregnant with our first child. And we didn't have that part in the budget for <laughs> the money we're trying to save aside. Never so, do. <laughs> and so I also had wanted her to uh, stay home, you know, with kids when once we started having children together. And so uh, anyway, but that first year I managed to do that. But the other side of that was I had to work eight days a week. Did you, did you know, uh, Mike, that there's actually eight days in every week? 
I'm, I'm learning that right now. How'd you pull that off? Yeah, I, I found the eighth day. If you push hard enough, you can actually find the extra day in the week. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's my joke. But yeah, so I work every day. So, but we had we had a pack before I got into real estate that you know there would be no vacations, no date nights, no anything. Now I don't recommend this as a practice. I just knew that for me at that time for what I wanted to achieve, that would have to be my commitment to get there. And so. After that first full year, and I sold all those homes, I said, okay, this was great. I won all the awards and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I can't, you can't continue at that pace, you know, for very long. So that's when I decided to go ahead and hire my first assistant in year two. Okay. And in year two, are you talking about after you closed the 55 or did you have an assistant in the year that you closed the 55? Uh, No assistant the year I closed 55. That was all me. Wow. That is impressive. The next year, when you had the assistant, did your transaction volume go up? It went up. It went up to we. I think that second that second year, I closed somewhere in the seventy-five to eighty range. Had a couple of more couple of days off, <laughs> so you know I didn't work eight days a week. I think I had six and a half. But but at the same time, we were we were still learning. And then this was in two thousand and four, my second year. So now what was happening is the thing that we didn't you know that nobody in my city at least was not aware of was that the market was getting ready to go through a tremendous upswing. Yeah, recession was coming. Yeah, because we've never seen the real estate market advance at the level that it did. So this was a new thing for everybody. So the market was going to take over. And so then in 2005 is when I started putting together a team because after 2004, I looked back at all the people who I had reached out to, talked to, touched about buying and selling. And then I realized that there was a whole lot of folks that I was able to reach, but I was not very good with follow-up. I was very, very good with making new friends, but what it takes to stay in those people's space was not my strength. And so I saw so many homes that were sold and I was not their agent because I didn't follow up with them enough to become their agent. So that's when, that's when I begin to say, you know what, I'm good at generating the business, but it's the follow-up at the challenge. I got to find some help. And so I went to a GRI class and there was a lady teaching the class and she had a real estate team and I had no idea how teams worked. Um, but after being in her class and me pulling her aside and asking her questions about how her business was run, she began to explain to me how that worked. And I said, man, I need that. I need to figure out a way that I can add people to what I'm doing because I can bring the business in. I just can't service it all. And that's how my team started. Have you ever taken the DISC personality profile? Yeah, many times, yes. And what do you score out at? I'm a DI. And I would probably say my I is higher than my D, so I'm really an ID. Yeah, I would think so. And that would make sense for why you could make those friends really quick, but the follow-up wasn't quite there. Uh, That's why I was curious. Correct. And that's the beauty of the team, right? You can supplement. But I want to go back before I forget. I don't want to forget this. I know there are a lot of people listening and they want to hear this. That first year, once you got your bearings after the first five months or six months of training yourself, things really took off quick. Could you tell us more about what you were doing to get the business to ramp up to the 20 closings in four months and then the 55 closings the very next year all by yourself? What were you doing to make that happen? So, okay, great question. So what I did was, I knew what my financial income goal was. I also understood what my compensation model was at the company that I worked with. Then I began to ask questions about if, um, does, I mean, remember when I started real estate, I had no idea about anything. So I went to my broker and I said, Hey, so when a person goes to contract to buy a house, do they always get to closing? <laughs> and he laughed. He said, Oh, oh no, 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 no. So I said, okay, well, you know, but if I had 10, you know, contracts, how many actually go to closing? So he told me the percentage. And then I said, all right, so does every person that I work with go to contract? He said, oh, no, 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 no. So if I had 10 people that I work with, how many of those would actually go to contract? And so I played this game with him. I worked this thing back because, you know, I knew sale. So I knew that it was a numbers game and I knew what my income goals were and I knew what my compensation model was. So I had to break my job description down to what do I need to do every day? And so after going through that exercise with myself, after learning the percentages roughly and what the average transaction was and what the average commission would be, 
I knew that I had to talk to 17 people a day about real estate. So my job became get in front of 17 people every day and just tell them who you are and what you do. So that became my job. Now, sometimes I would get around people who were, who we know were in the market to buy or sell. Well, how do we know they were in the market to buy or sell? Well, if they were a for sale by owner, they were in the market to sell. So I would call all the for sale by owners. I would go to their house. But now back then, we didn't have the internet like it is now. We didn't have the Zillow and the for sale by owner.com. And so we had to go to the newspaper. So every day I would get the newspaper, pull out the section, and I would go through all the for sale by owner listings and I would call them all or go knock on their door to go meet them because my job was to get in front of 17 people a day to tell them who I am and I'm in the real estate business. I loved open houses because I realized that when I did an open house, people came. And the people that come, many of them, not all, but many of them were actually in the market to buy. And what I learned eventually that was many of them also had to sell. So that became something I did every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, because I met people that way. We have shopping malls and businesses. Remember, I came, out of a, I came out of a background of corporate sales. So it was office to office, company to company. So I went back to my roots. I began to go into companies that I had relationships with, just walk in the door, find a human resource person to tell them what I did, give out cars, get permission to meet people. You know, now these folks, many of them were not in the market to buy or sell, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was to talk to 17 people a day about real estate. And so that's what I did. So every single day I met people and I would let them know what I would do, do my best to follow up, which I wasn't great at, which is why I lost a lot of business. But the net effect of that was the 55 houses that I did that year. Now, that's an interesting point. So when you were meeting these new people, say when you walked into the office and there are brand new people standing in front of you, if you found someone who was interested in real estate, were you gathering all their information oh, to God. put them in a the database? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, see, this is, this is the thing we teach now about databases. And um, I didn't have that instruction when I started real estate, so I did not have a database. My database was my, I have a black notebook that I wrote everything down in. And when I met somebody, if they were, you know, interested in buying, I would, I knew better than to give people my number. I would always leave a card, but I would never leave a card without getting their information and permission to call them because I never trusted anyone to call me back because oftentimes people did not. So if they had an interest in real estate, then what I would do is I would get their content information, get permission to reach out to them. And my thing was I always tried to schedule an appointment because I have to have something on my calendar with the person so that I know. So if I met you at an office and just so happened, you happen to be in the market to buy or sell a house. What I'm saying to you, it was so great to meet you. My, here's my card. Would it be okay if I got your phone number your property address if you're going to sell, and I reached out to you to set up a time to come by and meet you at your house or to schedule an appointment for you if you're a buyer to come by and meet you at my office. And then you would say yes, and then I would call you up, and now we have an appointment. And when you came in for the appointment, then I have a connection, and now it's just you're in the process. You know, people that I was able to get appointments with, and once the appointment, my job was to get them to commit to me as an agent, okay? Make sure it's a good match. So I'm gonna be asking them qualifying questions, make sure I understand what their needs are. I'm gonna to demonstrate to them that I am very qualified and skilled at answering their questions, pointing them in the right direction, building that rapport, building a relationship. I would always communicate that the purpose of me being in their world for this season of time was to be a consultant and a friend to them and an expert to educate them on what they need to know so that they're qualified to make a good buying or selling decision. I could care less whether they bought or sold, I, but I do care that they know what they're doing. And that was always the way I talked to people. And it comes across and they picked up on that and things would flow from there. I think it's really interesting that I'm going to take a, a leap here. If you met these 17 people, you bump into one that day that says, yeah, I want to do something. You set an appointment with them. The three that you met that day that were kind of interested probably fell off the wayside. In other words, if you didn't set an appointment, nothing else happened. Is that true? That is, that is absolutely true, yeah. And this is why today, obviously, we've grown. <laughs> we've done things a little bit differently now. So now everybody we meet that is willing to give us their information, they go into a database, and now we're able to set them up and say, okay, 
this person. And we even, we know we have like a category ABC, you know, meaning as far as timing and urgency and our highest urgency folks are A's, mid urgency B's, and then lowest urgency are C's. All of them are high priority for us. They're all high priority. It's just the urgency is where we have to make sure we have time for those people. And so we categorize those folks and now we touch everybody over and over and over again. But yes, you're correct. Back at that time, if they were making an appointment, I was there. If they didn't, I may sometimes call one time, but if I called you once and you didn't respond back to me, that was pretty much all I had in me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing else left to give. <laughs> well, you, you were going for the low-hanging fruit, the motivated people, and you were able yeah. to do that because you had enough people standing in front of you that you could, you could cherry pick. You could be very selective about who you were going to spend your time with. And I want to point out that that was actually very successful. That was a very effective system to focus just on the hottest, most motivated people. And again, you were able to do that because you were talking to so many people. Uh, you were able to pick out those certain people that were hot. That's really neat. Uh, during that time, how many hours a day were you going out to prospect? Oh, gosh. Um, I wasn't detailed tracking my time. I can tell you. My whole days, my days were just spent. They were either prospecting, either on the phone, calling people. My phone calls were for sale by owners. I did a lot of on the phone and I would just basically go home and I would be, I mean, hours, probably three, four hours. And when I first started calling the for sale owners, I had no training on how to talk to for sale by owners. Okay. You know, I would call and think, hi, is this Mike? Hey, Mike, how are you? Craig Wilburn with so-and-so realty company. I see you have a house for sale, but is the house still available? Oh, yeah. And so I go through all these questions and talk to you and build reports. And then I'd say, oh, hey, I'm a, I'm a so-and-so realty company. What? <laughs> You're a real estate agent? Click. Uh, anyway, over time, I learned, okay, I should probably identify who I am before I get into a whole conversation. So yeah, I switched up and I just start you know, letting them know that I'm real estate up front. And then uh, you know, we begin to deal with those calls. My goal always was, I got to build rapport quickly. I have to be friendly. I have to be, you know, I can't be salesy on the phone. It's got to be very conversational. Like it can't be like I'm trying to, you know, read from a script or, you know, I'm very robotic or mechanical. At least in my city, that didn't work for me really well. I found that when I was able to engage in just everyday conversation with the person, ask questions, you know, I always ask more than I told and then I found that people, when you ask them questions, they give you answers. And then when they give you answers, it opens up more dialogue to ask more questions. And then you build rapport. And then I found that people really appreciate it when you ask them questions because people like to know that you care about them. And one of the ways that the human nature works as far as people feeling like other people care about them is when people ask them questions about who they are and what they're doing, what their situations are. And so I found that I can build rapport very easily. And then my goal was to get in the door because I'm much better in person than I am over the phone. Sound like you do better in person. And you were doing a kind of a door knocking with the companies. It was that you wanted to get in front of people, right? Yes, that was the whole thing. I just, I, I would think to myself, I need to get in front of as many people as possible. So, you know, where do I go? Listen, I go to the mall, random people in the mall. I would go to, I love business centers. I work into a business park and just walk around and just try to meet everybody. I didn't do a lot of door knocking on homes. That I think that's a good idea to do. I didn't do a whole lot of that, but I did do a lot of businesses and trying to meet people in groups because that was kind of my, my comfort zone from what I did before real estate. Well, let me ask about that real fast. So someone's listening, they're nervous about getting in front of people. Did you ever have that nervousness where it took some courage to get out there in front of them or are you just such a natural that it was so easy? And if you did have to get yourself going, how did you do it? Right. So, okay. So everything is two things. Number one, I had, let's see, I had two children. I had a wife, you know, I wanted to stay home with the kids. Uh, I had a big why. And plus I'm competitive. I just wanted to, you know, I used to go to these real estate events and I would see all these top producing agents and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow, they look so cool. And da, 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 da. <laughs> they've done so much business. You know, I wanted to be that, <laughs> you know, so I was motivated. Now, in a high eye, the one thing high eyes hate is rejection. You know, we love to make connections with people. We just don't enjoy being rejected by people. It was very, very, very difficult for me 
to get on the phones or go meet people and then go, you know, explain to them, try to connect with them and them push me away, stiff on me. It was, it was very hard. But my why superseded that feeling of rejection because I knew the only way that I was going to be able to do and make the income that I wanted to make, I had to push past how I felt about it and I had to just go do it. And so the doer in me transcended the fear of rejection, which caused me and my why was still there. So that caused me to push through. And I would, the joke is, I mean, this is the truth. It's funny when I tell it, but it's a true story. I hated, the thing I hated more than anything was calling for sub owners. Hated it. But that's where the majority of my listings came from because I got really, really good at pushing through it, talking to them. I got a lot of rejection, but it was the wins that I did get that kept me fueled to go do it again. Because I knew, even though I hated the rejection, I knew that two things were going to happen. Number one, the more I did it, I was going to get better and better at having those conversations. Number two, I knew that if I had to go through 10 no's, eventually I would get one yes. And if I stopped at nine, I wouldn't have got to the 10th. So I had to keep going because the yes was the nice, friendly person was there. Everybody wasn't mean and nasty and didn't want to talk to me. I also learned over time that because a lot of real estate agents who were calling on for several owners were just trying to get a listing and just trying to get sale and that if I changed my tone to more of a conversational, relaxed, friendly, hey, how you doing? I'm your buddy type thing that I found I got less rejection because I wasn't going in trying to sell anybody anything. I'm just trying to build a relationship. It all, it starts and ends and the whole thing is right there on relationship. And I would tell people, I said, listen, understand something. You're trying to sell your house for sale by owner for a reason. Okay. And I would always ask them if I can ask you why you're doing it this way, what's the reason? So of course we hear all the different reasons why people, you know, of course the most common one was save the commission and, you know, I had a bad experience, so, you know, whatever the reason is. The thing is, is that the reason I'm calling the person is because I'm, what's my job? My job is not to sell houses. My job is to build relationships. So the reason why I'm calling you is this, you might be successful selling your home on your own. That's great. What I want though, is the relationship with you because statistics will show that 70% or more of the people will not be successful. It doesn't mean that you won't, but if you are not, I just want to be someone who you feel trustworthy enough that you can call out for help if you need it. And if you don't need it, there's a very high probability that there will be somebody who you know who will not want to do it on their own. And maybe if you trust me and like me, maybe just maybe you might refer me to them. But if I don't know you, have a relationship with you, I'll never have that opportunity. So to me, this is the angle that I would always, because it's the truth. And so I would come in from that perspective and which was in many cases different than how other people would call. So then that would make me sound different than other people, which made me memorable. Because anytime that you're different than the last 20 people that came by, you're memorable. So as an agent, I always wanted to do things for my business that was memorable. You set yourself up as the plan B. You set yourself apart. Correct. Craig, thank you for walking us through that. I, I want to switch gears here. I, I don't want to miss some of this information that people like to hear about. So how long have you been in the business at this point? Okay, so at this point, I've been in the business for over 16 years now. How many homes did you sell last year and what was your sales volume? Uh, last year, I sold 200 roughly 200 houses for about 49 million. Do you recall your GCI? Last year, it was one three, I want to believe. Wow, <laughs> that's beautiful. And do you remember your best year? What year was it? How many homes did you sell? And what was the volume? Okay, so the best year we had was in 2016. Um, and that was, we did... 255 houses that year for about 55 million. That's great. Have you ever have you ever gone back and added up how many homes you've sold in your career? Oh, you know I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, the, actually, believe it or not, the unit number I can't recall off the top of my head right now. But the um, but we did do been about over 400 million of total volume in my career um, that we've done. 
since we started this thing, you know, that long ago. I think it was probably units, got to be 700, somewhere in that range. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You have this team operating now, and the question people have is Are you still in production? And if so, how many homes did you personally sell last year? Okay. So, yeah, I still do production. Uh, last year, personally, I, I touched around 70 transactions myself. Primarily on the listing side, I may have had about five, four or five buying transactions that I worked with personally. But yeah, about 70. I think of that 200 last year was my personal time spent on those. Now, I indirectly touch just about every deal that comes through through the agents on the team that, are, that I'm helping to do what they do for the client. And so you're the, you're the team leader and it sounds like you're the lead listing agent. I am, but we're shifting that. <laughs> I'm, working, I'm developing, I'm grooming up another agent at the moment right now to take over that role. But right now, yes, I'm the lead listing agent right now. But it's shifting very quickly because she's actually better than I am at listing houses. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm good. passing that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Always be, yeah, bringing very, people very that good. are smarter and better than you are, right? That's my motto. And that's not to do with me. <laughs> so, the bar's not real high. <laughs> well, that's a sign of genius. You bring in smarter people. Well, let's do this. Let's go into the team real quick. Could you give us a, an overview of the team? And again, we're looking for kind of the big picture of how many buyer agents or listing agents, kind of what does the structure look like? You know, I just thought about something. I, when you asked me how many units that I've sold in my career, I said uh-huh. 700, and that was an error. I, mean, I, was, I think we've done 700 in the past three or four years. But historically, I don't know the number, but it's got to be somewhere in the – got to be a lot. It's got to be over around 1,000 or so would be my thousands. guess, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Got to be in that, in that range, so apologize for that. Hey, mis- no problem. Right, so our team structure is broken up into um, you know, basically three different categories. We have our administrative team. And then we have our sales team, and then we have our lead generation team. So right now, on the sales side, we have two listing agents, and we have two buyer's agents, and then we have myself. And that's what our sales team looks like. Our lead generation team, we have two, uh, two gentlemen that work on lead generation, and what that basically is is they, they do our incoming inquiries for properties that we're marketing. Um, and they also do outbound prospecting as well. They call for SEBA owners, expired listings. They're doing all the incoming leads that we're getting off the internet, social media, things of that nature. Then we have our administrative department, which I have a director operations. She basically runs the, the business and the admin side, all the systems that we're building and creating for our team. She has a personal assistant. And then we have a transaction manager that handles all of our uh, clients' deals from contract to close. And then we also have a listing coordinator who services all of our home sellers from the time that they're being uh, met with on the initial interview for the listing appointment to the time they go to contract. And then we have a field manager whose responsibilities are to go out and put up signs, lock boxes, run errands that we need every now and then, meet clients at the house for inspections, for buyers inspections, and things of that nature. And then we have another part-time person that does, you know, clerical errands that we have that we need around the office. And I think that's everybody right now. Very good. Was that about 14 people? Yeah, about 13, I think, total people, you know, between part and full-time. You know, yeah. Would you mind telling us what you're doing with your buyer agents and listing agents? Sure. We actually, funny, we this week rolled out a brand new compensation plan that we're giving out to all of our agents that we just, we rolled it out in our team meeting uh, on Tuesday and it was very, very well received. So in our model, and we can do this the way our company is designed, the brokerage company, at least it allows us to, we keep a lot of our own commissions 
So it allows us to build this kind of a model internally. So we have two different levels of agent. We have a, you know, we have an, we have an agent on our team. Then we have a tenured agent. A tenured agent is someone that, that has been with our team in that position for at least two years and they're tenured. But for our standard agents, we pay our buyer agents 40% on any transactions that they bring to the table. And then, or that we, that we give to them, they get paid 40% to go help somebody go through the buying process. Their job description for the buyer agent is obviously shrunk down quite a bit. So they do prospect for business, um, doing open houses or calling their database, things of that nature. They also receive incoming leads from us, from the marketing that we're doing and all the listings that we have, uh, relationships from me, because I don't typically work with buyers personally, but I will refer my buyer clients to one of our buyer agent superstars. And then they meet for buyer consultations They meet buyers for consultations and they show property. Now, a couple of my, my two agents right now, they're getting to a point where we're getting ready to implement a showing assistant model where we're going to have showing assistants come in and actually show property for them. But for right now, they also show property and then they write and negotiate contracts. And then that's it. Very good. And they're on a 40% split. And then did you say tenure was more than that? 45% for tenure. And 45 for tenure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. How about on the, the listing side? Uh, on the listing side, the listing agents get a 25%. And then for tenured listing agents, they get paid 30%. And their roles consist of, obviously, they do lead generate for listings. They also go on listing appointments, and then they negotiate the contract, and they service the seller, you know, between from communication to the seller. The listing coordinator does the majority of the administrative work for the seller, but the listing specialist will be the point of contact for the seller throughout time the house is listed. Does the listing agent handle the inspection? No, the uh, field manager would do that. Now, anything negotiating-wise is done all by the listing agent. So if the buyer agent does an inspection and then negotiations that are needed, then the listing agent will handle the negotiations with the buyer agent. I got to tell you, Craig, I like the way you set up your compensation, very similar to what I set up 15-plus years ago. It makes a lot of sense. It sounds like it's a very profitable and fair model. It is, yeah. And we also, what we did, what we just implemented as well is we have some stretch bonuses. So we do have team minimums. So our expectation is that the buyer agents on our team or analysting agents for that matter, but buyer agents specifically, that they close at least three transactions per month on average. And has that been happening? Yes. So minimum three per month on average. And listing agents, we're looking for five closed listings per month on average. And that's not been happening yet because my two listing agents are actually brand new into the business. Sometimes that's the best way to do it. Bring them in and teach them the way you want. That's exactly right. Now, so the listing agents actually right now, they do primarily listings, but they also do a buyer here and there too. So they're just getting their units in. Now we did implement a bonus structure as well if they hit stretch goals. And so the way that would work is as long as the team as a whole hits a certain volume for the month of GCI, if we hit a GCI goal, then what happens is it qualifies the whole team to receive essentially it's profit sharing. Okay. So in order for the individual agent on the team to qualify, two things have to happen. Number one, the whole team collectively has to hit the, the volume number. And then the second thing that's happened is that individual agent, has to have hit a stretch goal for that month. And this is based on volume. So if that agent closes uh, $900,000 or more for that month or four transactions, then they qualify for the profit share. And so ultimately what we do is we take the net profit for the business that month. We take 5% of that net profit and they get split out between all the qualifying agents. If there's just one qualified agent, they get it all. If there's two, three, four, five, you know, whatever the number is, it gets split evenly. So it's a great incentive. That money's just going to the salespeople, or do the admin get part of that profit sharing as well? The admin have, have their own separate thing going on. So this is just for the, uh, the sales folks. 
And it's net profit, so you got to make sure there's a profit at the end before they get a piece of it. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, we have a whole bunch of expenses. Everybody wants to do this or do that, whatever. You know, if we spend too much money and there's no profit, then there's no, you know, nobody wins. Okay. But what it does, it encourages them as a team to obviously work because they, they have to personally qualify. Okay. So they can't, you don't qualify for doing the minimum. You have to do above and beyond the minimum to qualify. And it also encourages them to work together to help each other succeed. Because one person is probably not going to do enough business by themselves to hit the team minimum bonus level. So they're going to have to work together to help each other succeed so that they all benefit from it. And then we also do a, a quarterly bonus as well. So every quarter we look at, this is not derived by net profit, but this is just a bonus that we throw on for anyone who is consistent. See, we want to we reward consistent overachieving behavior. So if someone exceeded the minimums for three months in a row in a quarter, then they also would get a quarterly bonus. And then we have some prizes and things that we do for them that total about $1,000 of things. You know, it could be coaching, free coaching from one of our coaches that we work with. It could be plane tickets, um, tickets to an event, hotel accommodations, things of that nature. We give as bonuses every quarter for anyone performing at an above average level consistently over time. This is very, very important for our business. And that's why it's eight pages. There's a lot going on in there and you want to make sure it's clear and everybody understands it going in. Well, Craig, let me switch gears on you again real quick. I don't want to forget to ask you this question. What is the major source of your business at this point? Is it repeat and referrals? Is it internet leads, open houses? What's bringing in the most leads and business closings for you at this point? Um, the majority of our business is now coming from, you know, network, our network of people. So, you know, I've sold a lot of real estate and, and also do a lot of things in the community for Gainesville. And so I just know a lot of people. So our referral, income and referrals and relationship business is number one source uh, that we get. Past clients referring us people, repeat business, you know, folks that bought mouse selling, people that, you know, that are um, uh, agent relationships in the community. That's where the majority of our business comes from. The next in line would be all of our internet leads. You know, we, you know, we spend money on different online opportunities to generate business from social media to different real estate websites and things of that nature. Um, and that's where, that's where we get them from. If you were going to estimate it, what do you think the percentage of businesses coming in off of your network group you were talking about versus the uh, internet leads? Boy, so like sphere of influence. It's high. It's got to be 75 plus percent. Those business has got to be from our sphere. And then I, I maybe 65, somewhere in that range, 65, 75% is coming from that. And then 25, 35 coming from, coming from other sources. And that is a new thing for us because I used to never invest in lead generation platforms. I strictly worked from relationship building. So there was a time for many years where I say 90 plus percent of whatever I did came from past client referrals. But now we've kind of, we still do the course. That's where our bread and butter is. But we've also added to that now, this other layer of investing in marketing things that's generating people who we do not know. And this is why our percentage has you know grown in that area because we, we just are putting attention to it now and putting dollars behind it. Let's focus on what has worked really well for you so far, and that is this past client sphere of influence, your repeating referrals, this network that you're working with. Uh, just a couple quick questions there. I assume now you're keeping a database. Do you uh, offhand know how many people approximately are in that database? We've got about 11,000 people in the database now. Okay. And are those all have mets, or is that a combination of some of these new no. leads you're pulling in off the internet? If you were just to say the past clients and sphere of influence, what do you think that is? Um, there's probably at least four to five thousand people in there who are, you know, people who we uh, met that we've made a contact with, you know, in the past or recently. There's at least that many in there. Probably half of that is um, Mets. And since you're generating so much business from this, what are you doing to make that happen? Do you have 
a formal annual marketing plan that you're going out to these people? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like a certain group of maybe your top 50 that you're targeting and, and talking to and continuing to build those relationships? What's working the best to generate these repeating referrals? Right. So we're actually, you know, it's, it's so funny. I have a, I have a, a coach that coaches me. And so she, she says, Craig, I, how are you doing this much business? And you don't even follow the protocol <laughs> that you're supposed to do. And I, I was like, it's a little bit organic, but we're actually in the process right now, Micah, we're shifting from a more of a, a organic, you know, type business to a more systematic business. We're literally, we're literally in that phase of transition as we speak, because we recognize that that's the only way you can scale this thing up. And so, um, we are actually in the process of formulating all of our monthly, quarterly, annual. So the one thing that we've done for for many years now is we do a, a very a pretty large uh, annual event for all of our past clients. So this is the one thing that we do consistently. So I love to have a party and togethers and that kind of thing. That's that eye coming out of me. So we've done we've done client appreciation events for probably the past seven years, uh, and they just they've continued to grow and grow and grow over time. Um, this most recent year, uh, last year in December, we had a, a client appreciation event. And what I did was I went to the movie theater and I rented out our third time doing this, but we rented out two movie theaters, two full theaters at the local plaza. And we had about 350 people that came past clients and referral partners. And, and what we do is, you know, we, we offer it to our call them business partners. These are, these are lawn service people and attorneys, you know, uh, mortgage lenders and, and what we do is we invite them also that if they want to be a part and help sponsor and underwrite our client event, that we will promote their services within our marketing for the event. And so we wound up getting a very good support system where literally the event was about a $7,000 cost to do the whole event. This was two theaters, popcorn, sodas, candy, all these kinds of things. And it was underwritten by business sponsors. So I didn't have to pay anything for it. So it was fantastic. You know, we show up and we have a big production and we have pictures and we video and all this great stuff. And now one of the things that we also do is we, we, we do a lot of service in the community. This is one of our big staples in our business is always giving back to the community. So whenever we do an event, we always tie in a nonprofit to it. So for this last client appreciation event, when we marketed the event to our database, you know, we invited everybody to, you know, first come, first serve for a free movie. It was Star Wars, which I love Star Wars. So we had a Star Wars movie. We, what we say is that the event is free if you are able to provide a non-perishable food item for the local food bank, if you can bring it with you. If you're able to do that, that'd be your only entry fee, if you're able. If you're not able, not a problem. So this was a good thing because it gave us an opportunity to have a reason to reach back out to our database, to call, to invite folks. And we wound up raising over 700 pounds of food for our local food bank, which is beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so it was great for us to, to go down there and deliver, you know, all this food and canned items and everything. And so it really was a blessing to them. At the same time, you know, we had a good event and it didn't cost anything but time. And we were able to do a good thing for the community at the same time. So t- trying to tie all those things in together. And one real quick follow-up there, the movie event that you put on, did it result in business? Did you get business out of that? Yeah. So when we do our client events, we don't necessarily do it. But we, you know, we don't make an ask for business directly in these events. We use it more as a branding opportunity and a goodwill opportunity. What we know is we've been doing it for so long now, and, we've, and we always tie a charity to it so people feel good when they go. I can't quantify how much business that we get, but I can tell you that we get a lot of referrals from people that I know have been to our events or people who have not been able to go for one reason or the other, but they see what we're doing. And they appreciate the fact that we are you know, not just about selling houses, but we're about really giving back to the community. I always recommend people to find, usually in most cities, there's a ton of nonprofits, you know, people that need help, you know. Now, what we find here in Gainesville is that I always ask my agents, I say, what do we, what do we, what do we really do for a living? Besides building relationships, what's the other thing that we do for a living? And if you think about it, one of our everyday jobs is problem solving. So, in other words, when a person calls us and says, I have a home to sell, guess what they have? 
a problem because the problem is home not sold. I need it sold. So our job is to go in and figure out how to make that happen for them. Same thing with the person wanting to buy a house. Same thing when you get an inspection and it comes back bad and you got to resolve that. Same thing when the appraisal comes in too low. Same thing when title, something's wrong with the title. Same thing, you know, on and on and on. When you got a bad agent on the other end of the deal, we're problem solving constantly. Well, most of these nonprofits, their problem is fundraising. They need more money. They need ideas. They need creativity. So as a real estate agent who is trained in problem solving, when you show up on a board of directors for a local nonprofit with your name badge on, not talking about real estate, but displaying how efficient and effective you are at coming up with creative problem solving ideas, you stand out. And then ultimately people want to do real estate business with you because they think you're smart. So I have found, I've served over, over probably over a dozen different organizations here throughout the years in my city. And I have always done real estate business with people every single time I've sat on the board and have never, ever asked anybody for the business. Never had to ask. It just comes. You're just out there in front of people. And that just happens, right? Yeah. Now, I do wear my name badge. <laughs> people see what I do for a living. I, I don't talk about it unless they ask me. Right. And they always ask. Always. How's the market? And then there you go, right up and you're into a real estate conversation. And then that's your opportunity as an agent to connect with the person, help educate the person, and show the person that, you know what, they need you if they are in the market or they need to refer you to money that they know who is in the market. It's a double win. You're helping with the charity and it's resulting in business. How can you not want to do that? Yeah, it's beautiful. That's nice. Well, Craig, let me ask you a couple of final questions here. Uh, you've mentioned your big picture of the business, and thank you for walking us through that. And a question people have is, are you profitable? Yes, we are very, very profitable, which is good. Of course, our goals have expanded quite a bit. Once we decided to go from, an, I just call it an organic business into a scalable system business, our goal for profit has, has gone up through the roof. You know, our, our goals are very, 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 very big right now. So, but yes, we are profitable. Would you mind describing what your profit margin percentage is? Mm-hmm. Right on. Um, our percentage right now on our last our last report from our bookkeeper and our accountant, it was at, uh, we were at, I want to say 38%. Wow. That's pretty good. It's pretty, especially building up this team. And I got to take a, a quick tangent, if you don't mind. You said you're creating some really big goals. What are those big goals? What, what's your objective? World domination. No. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Start small. <laughs> so in Gainesville, Gainesville is a small city. Okay. It's a very small city. And we are considered like the cat's meow in this town. So it's sometimes what happens is it's challenging because you start thinking you got it figured out. And then you get somewhere else where people are doing things 10, 20 times more than what you're doing. And you realize you don't even know what you're doing yet. <laughs> so we are starting over where we're saying, okay, step one is we have to have an efficiently run business that's built on great systems. And I just hired someone to our team to help us do just that, help us build that. So we're literally about 120 days in to building this new business model out. So our initial goals for, for next year, obviously we want to always stay around that 30 to 40% profitability range, and then increase agents, increase marketing, increase production. So from a number standpoint, we've never done 80 million yet. That's, that's the number I've never hit with a team. And, you know, in Gainesville, we're not in a high price point area. So if you want to look at units, goal for, for this year would be to do, is, is to do about 225 units this year, which is similar to what we did last year. However, this year, we're going to do it on systems rather than organic. And then next year, our goal will be to do between 350 to 400 transactions. And then the year after that, the goal will be to do six to 700 units. Now, these numbers in our market, literally, if anybody in Gainesville were to hear this message, they would think, I've lost my mind <laughs> because these things aren't done in my market. So when I say that we're really putting our goals high, 
we're putting our goals higher than what is reasonably possible to believe for where you are. But we have friends in our business who work for our company that have goals in their cities to do 30,000 transactions in one year. Literally, this is where they're going. You know, they want to do 2 billion in volume. This is how people are thinking in our industry right now. So we decided to say, you know what? Let's take the lid off of how we think and let's just think bigger, but let's build it. It's not going to happen because you want it to happen. It's going to happen because you work really hard on building proper systems, proper structure that's consistent in finding great people that you can plug into the models. So that's where we're at right now. I would love to do this again next year. (laughs) (laughs) We could do follow up. Well, I think it's exciting because you've gone this far and now you've created another bigger goal. And I can hear it in your voice that you're a little scared. You're a little intimidated by it, but you're also excited Mm -hmm. by it. And you're looking for other people who have done it as a model. You're really stretching yourself. You mentioned in the beginning you're competitive and you can hear that. Yeah, I'm very competitive. I was competed in sports, you know, and different things not on any recognition type level, but just naturally it's just in me to win. You know, now the way I define winning has changed throughout the years. I don't define winning as who sold the most and who's the, got the most business, who has the biggest paychecks. And, you know, I don't define that as winning. I think winning more has to do with you being true to what you want to accomplish. So I don't look at the guy that wants to do 30,000 transactions in one year and go, wow, I need to do 31,000. No, I look at that and go, you know what? That guy is out, you know, what he wants to have happen. And he's doing the things necessary to make that happen for himself and those that are with him. So my job is to say, okay, let me look at who I am. And if I want to do 700 transactions in one year in my city, and maybe if I want to do 3,000 transactions in other cities, because we don't have that many in Gainesville, but if I have the ability to do this, create a good model and then replicate it in other cities where there are more opportunities for more transactions, then I'm willing to go do that. I'm going to be happy with what I'm given. I'm not going to put a lick on my achievement because of my lack of belief. So I'm not looking at what anybody else is doing as far as me wanting to do what they're doing. I just want to be the best version of me that I can be. How are you creating that belief in your ability to achieve these big goals? Are you doing affirmations or visualizations? Is it just the fact that you're in it every day? How are you getting yourself to believe that you can do these bigger things? You've already accomplished these big things, bigger than most. How have you done it in the past? How do you plan on doing it in the future? Now we're going to shift into a, you know, into a more deeper conversation. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, this has to do with my personal faith. And so, you know, I I have, here's the one thing that I know. I know very clearly that I am not good enough, smart enough to do any of this stuff. So there is a measure of me that says, well, if God has given me the ability to do it, it's going to happen because of what he does through me and what he does through me and how it reaches people and how they join to me. And what we can build. I can't take credit for anything that I've done or will do. I just know that if I have the opportunity to do anything that anybody else would look at and go, wow, that's pretty cool. And that's admirable. They can't look at me because I'm so special. But there's a part of me that the pressure for me, you know, performing at a certain level is removed because I'm putting my trust in God to help me have the strength to go do what he wants me to do. And if you know, if I set these big goals and all this stuff and it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be moved by that either. You know, I just know that I got to stay the course. I got to work hard. Things don't happen for you because you, you know, make affirmations or go in your closet and pray. And, you know, you got to put work to it also. You got to have good people around you helping you do these things. So one of the things that I pray for on a regular basis is people who can inspire me to be better, to be in my, in my space, and then people who are going to help me accomplish what it is that I feel like we're going to accomplish to be joined to my vision. Because without those two things happening, we'll be in the same place that we've always been in. So that's my groundingness. That's, my, that's the place that I stay in. Um, that's where my confidence comes from. It comes from, comes from above, not from inside of me.
I'm going to ask the follow-up question. I think you've answered quite a bit right there, though, and that is, what drives you? You know, my number one driving factor is, you know, is is the Lord. He's in my life. He's working through me. You know, I got a lot of issues, like everybody else has issues in the world, you know, so I'm not like perfect, do everything right, and da-da-da-da. You know, I just know that, that He loves me. I know that He's forgiven me. I know that He is pushing me to be what He needs me to be, to reach people for Him. So that is always my number one driving factor. Number two is my family around me. That's my big why. You know, when I do, when I speak in different places and I put up my why, typically I got a picture of them up there because that's my everyday, when I go home and see them and they want this and they want to experience that. And I want to have them, I want them to have more than what I had, which they have way more than what I ever had. And life experiences, not just to have stuff, but to have values you know, to have understanding, to have awarenesses, you know, to have culture. I mean, this is what I want to experience. And so that motivates me to go do what I do every single day. And then the third thing is the people that are, are given their lives to work with me so that we can all together accomplish whatever it is that we're going to accomplish. Those people motivate me tremendously every single day because I spend a, spend a lot of time with these folks, you know, and I love the people that I work with. And so they push me and motivate me to go do what I do every single day, too. If a new agent came up to you and you wanted to advise them on what they should do first, what would you tell them to do? And this actually happens weekly. What I tell people if they're, you know, again, we're going to assume that they're not thinking about getting into real estate, but they're, they've made the decision and now they're in real estate. The number one thing I tell them to do when you're new to real estate this is what I did not do, which I wish I would have done, is establish your database and make sure that you feed it every single day. Put people in it. Talk to them. Touch them on a regular basis. Get permission to stay in their face. Get a newsletter. Get, um, you know, get articles. Send things to people. Stay present in their minds every single month, weekly sometimes. Call them. Use a contact management system or use an Excel spreadsheet if you can't, you know, if you don't have the resources to get a management system. Anything you got to do where you can actually, on a regular basis, systematize your follow-up with people, that's the main thing you got to do. Build a database because it'll start feeding yourself. A lot of the folks that I know that are hidden, that are doing incredible things in real estate right now, they all work through database management. So that's why we're finally, after 16 years, we're really building this part of our business. But you don't have to wait 16 years. You can do it right away if you work smart from the beginning, but not like me. See, I told you the bar is real low with me. (laughs) 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 The second thing I would say is make sure that your heart is right for the business. The barrier of entry for real estate is very, very low. The barrier of success and excellence is really, really high. So you want to start with yourself and knowing your why. And always come from a place of consultation, not self-need. So when you're dealing with the public, you don't want to deal with people because you need to pay your light bill or feed your kids or whatever. You want to deal with people from a standpoint of, I'm coming here for what's in your best interest. That needs to be the highest priority in the business. And everything else will take care of itself. Integrity. Yes, integrity in all things. Well, Craig, do you think that uh, top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I think they're extremely valuable. I didn't have anything like this existed when I was coming up, but I for sure would have sat down for an hour or so and and listened to, you know, someone that's been there, done that, who I don't even know, to hear a little bit about insights and ideas and things of that nature. I think it's brilliant. Well, Craig, I've come to the end of my questions for the day. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I would just say real estate is a very exciting career. Um, it's, you know, when you, you can build as big or as small or whatever you want to do, you have a lot of options and choices in the whole thing. Uh, it is very hard. It's not an easy business. I always tell people that, you know, when you watch these guys doing, you know, 100 houses a year and 1,000 houses a year and 3,000, that's not coming without a price. <laughs> There's a price to be paid for whatever you do. So. Get in where you fit in, be happy with what you do, be ready to work hard and build momentum. You know, I, I look at real estate as a, as a locomotive, not a drag race. You know, sometimes it takes a long time for that train to get 
chugged up and at top speed. But once it gets up to top speed, try to stop it. It's hard to stop the train when it's in full momentum. So don't get discouraged. If you have a hard time getting it started, don't get discouraged. Just got to keep pushing through until that momentum builds up. And then the momentum will carry a large part of your business into the future. Well, Craig, your friendly prospecting approach, rapport building questions, competitive drive, and willingness to play the numbers game has been a formula for success. In the early days, by reducing your annual income goal to a clearly defined daily target of talking with 17 people per day, you guaranteed your success, simplified your business, and allowed yourself to focus exclusively on the needs of the person standing in front of you. Now, you're building a team infused with the culture of caring and the focus on customer satisfaction. You've set some big, huge, ambitious goals for your team, and I have a good feeling you'll achieve them. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 154 homes last year with her husband. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal demonstrate and discuss their best lead generation methods visit realgtv r-e-a-l-g dot tv if you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage check out my masterclass webinar titled top five free lead sources for real estate agents learn more at freeleadtime.com That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.